hello guys and welcome to another episode of Women Up Podcast Show, where today we will talk a little bit more about mental health disorders and especially we will go through BPD. And this is the shortcut for so-called borderline personality disorder, which is an international term, but UK dictionary calls this EUPD, which means emotionally unstable personality disorder. I would like to start this episode uh, with an explanation or kind of definition that I find really interesting about mental, what mental health illness actually is and how we can understand it. So this explanation says, when the fear is too great, the reasoning mind begins to fail and we call this mental illness. Psychotic behavior occurs when the mind is so frightened and the wound so painful that it seems better for the reasoning mind to break contact with the outside world. I think and I find this really, really meaningful and powerful definition of mental health illness. So my today's guest, Aline, will explain to us what living with BPD looks like, challenges that arise as a result of living with BPD, how to live fulfilled life despite being diagnosed with BPD and that it's really possible, practical advice on what works for individual and some recommendations for support groups and her personal view on BPD and mental health stigma. Aline herself is podcast host and she is in charge of the podcast specifically oriented on BPD, borderline personality disorder. The podcast name is Beyond the Borderline. So guys, if you would like to check it out and dive more into details about BPD, I really recommend you to dive into and listen to her podcast. I'm going to include the link to this podcast in the description of this episode. So feel free to go there and check it out. Also, important announcement, be aware that in this episode, we will be discussing topic that might be trigger for some of you. So if you are not feeling that this might be right for you in this moment, leave the listening for another time. Now let's hear from Aline and her own experience about borderline personality disorder. So enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Women Up Podcast Show into the next episode. We're going to keep talking about mental health. And today we're going to direct our attention on uh, a specific, if I can call it mental health disorder, it's called borderline personality disorder. And more you're going to know from my today's guest. Her name is Aline, and uh, I'm very happy for her to be here and for accepting the invitation. So hi, Aline, how are you doing? Hello, lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. Thank you for accepting again. And uh, I'm looking forward to diving into this topic because it's very interesting. And I think we should really talk more within the society about mental health mm-hmm. because it's like a big taboo topic. <laughs> it looks I like. Agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And you yourself are doing a podcast on this specific topic. It's called Beyond the Borderline. Yes, I do do a podcast. Uh, I started it uh, probably about a year ago, a little over. And it's on hiatus at the moment until September because I've just gotten really busy. But it's done really well. And I think that's just because there are so many people who need information on the topic. So it's had over 100,000 downloads, which is really nice. And I've, you know, I've received quite a few messages from people who have been diagnosed with BPD or borderline personality disorder and have found it helpful. So that's been really great. Yeah. Yeah, so well done for that, for doing it, really. Right. As you said, it has a lot of downloads, so people really looking for it and searching for help 
out there. Yeah. I had the opportunity to listen to a few episodes and it's really, really helpful. And it's giving you insight into what borderline personality disorder is. Mm-hmm. If you never heard about that. So it's really going into the detail, into personal experience and into tips, if I would mm-hmm. call it like that, how to manage the life, how to live normal life, let's say, even though you are diagnosed. So tell me, Aline, when have you been diagnosed with, can I call it as a shortcut BPD? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. So just just a couple of things. And what I would just just to just to say that so the original term for the disorder, which Mm -hmm. is the kind of the the borderline personality disorder, to my knowledge, is main it's an it's an American term. So if you were diagnosed in America, you'd be diagnosed with BPD. In the UK, the terminology has changed slightly. So now if you get that diagnosis, it's the the title that they give you is emotionally unstable personality disorder I just really don't like that 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 (laughs) yeah label even though I think it is quite accurate but I just really don't like it so I use BPD and also it's kind of quite internationally I think it's more understood Mm -hmm. if I say BPD yeah okay yeah thank you for the clarification so emotionally unstable you said within the UK Mm -hmm. is the official term yes yes okay Okay. E- so what- EUPD. Yeah. EUPD is E-U-P-D. what you would be diagnosed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. Yeah. So what, what, the, what does it exactly mean? Or- well, that's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really great question. So, I mean, I, obviously I'm not a doctor, so, but I, I, you know, I'm someone who's diagnosed with it and I believe correctly, so I can share my experience. So, so basically there are, there are seven criteria for, for being diagnosed with BPD and uh, borderline personality disorder and off the top of my head I can't remember all of them but what people a lot of people usually present with which I did is as the name suggests it's having really really intense and very up and down moods and um, a kind of feeling of sort of emptiness and then sort of quite self-destructive behaviors very often A, a lot of people with this mental health diagnosed self-harm that's a very common not obviously not everyone does but that's a very common kind of symptom certainly one that I had you know very often people with BPD will will be suicidal or they'll you know they'll make attempts so those, those are two of the really kind of common symptoms but it's yeah there is there are seven different criteria and I mean you know often also substance abuse and eating disorders kind of but you're very sort of it's um very impu- you're very impulsive so you know someone could be making really sort of impulsive decisions that are quite self-destructive and also another sort of quite a common kind of feature of BPD is that you don't really have a very clear sense of your own identity so for example just as an example like one of the things when I was younger you know I would let's say meet a friend and I want to be exactly like them you know and 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 obviously to some degree like as a t- if you're a teenager or something you know you, you sort of do that a little bit right when you're a teenager or when you're younger yeah. but it it kind of becomes extreme you know that was my experience where you know I'll meet someone and I'm like oh my god I want to be exactly like them and you know and then you know I meet someone else and I think I want to be exactly like them so that's for me as part of it and then the other very common sort of feature of BPD is that you feel very intensely rejected so someone could say you know okay so I might have a friend who's, and I, I'll say, you know, oh, do you want to meet up for coffee? 
and they'll say oh no I'm not available you know I mean that's a fairly standard you know people aren't always available but some quite often when people have you know if it's not being treated then you know it can that can just feel like this very intense rejection and people can start feeling suicidal and then because it's you know if you said if you sort of said that to a kind of everyday you know someone who doesn't have that disorder it seems very extreme so then that can sort of add to the person feeling very as if they don't belong or people don't understand them so but you know what I do want to say is there is treatment you know so and I say that because it's I think it's changing now but there's you know, I, I think when it comes to, which is great, it comes to mental health conditions like anxiety and depression. I think people are more willing to talk about those, which is which is great because mm-hmm. those are very serious, you know. But I think, you know, still around personality disorders or bipolar, I mean, I also have bipolar too, or, you know, schizophrenia, you know, I think it's, there's still a lot of kind of reluctance to talk about those conditions openly I think because they're seen as quite extreme or you know but as you said I think the more conversation we can have you know I think the, the more that helps everyone really mm-hmm. yeah you, you mentioned the bipolar disorder as well when I read briefly the description of borderline disorder it came to me kind of really really similar signs yeah. and and um, symptoms kind of thing yes so- I guess it's not really easy to distinguish between from I know you said there is seven criterias and stuff like that but it can be easily kind of mistaken or yes I think it's very common I mean there are distinct differences and again you know I think it's like anything it's like if someone has a heart condition you know they're not going to be exactly the same personality as someone else who's got a heart condition so I think similarly with mental health you know things can vary you know it's not going to look exactly the same for everyone but in my personal experience it's very common for them to be misdiagnosed for people to get a bipolar diagnosis when they have BPD for me personally and 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 actually I got diagnosed with bipolar quite a few years after I got a BPD diagnosis so so it, it, it can be a bit you know and I think also sorry I I go a little bit all over the place but I think what one of the things for me that's been really important to remember is that at the end of the day it's about what works for the individual so the thing that for me is useful useful about having a diagnosis is that it gives you access to treatment you know and 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 you know you sort of within at least within the NHS system in the UK you you need a diagnosis in a way to qualify for treatment. So in that sense, it can be quite useful, but I think at the end of the day, people might present with a mixture of different symptoms. And if a certain therapy or a certain medication helps them, I think that's the main thing. But yeah, I mean, for me, the difference between, because there are different forms of bipolar also, and I have bipolar too. So for me, the main difference is that with bipolar my as I understand it my bipolar it's it's the highs and lows last a bit longer Mm -hmm. whereas with BPD and I think that's another reason why people with untreated BPD their behavior can be quite confusing because with BPD I can be really happy one minute 
and then someone says something and then I literally feel suicidal like half half an hour later and it is very confusing to someone who doesn't have that you know that's not how I am now as a result of treatment you know therapy and medication not to say that I don't sometimes have those thoughts or whatever but it's it but it's I can manage my behavior isn't so sort of going along you know with those ups and downs so with BPD for me it's much quicker it's like boom 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 whereas changes Mm-hmm. Yeah, whereas my parents were like boom, boom, boom. If that yeah. makes sense. Sorry, that I know it's a your. It, this is an audio interview, and I'm showing you. Fine. Her. So yeah, yeah. it t- take uh, it lasts longer that moment. Yeah, of the, that's what I would say. Yeah, and the de- depressive state as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. must. Be, it, it, I didn't know. To be honest, you have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Also, are you receiving a lot of medication for that? For example, uh, like I do. I do take medication. So, so basically, when I first got diagnosed, I was actually put onto a particular. And this is very common. You don't always get. See, one thing I do want to share with you, with your listeners, is that there's there is a there's a, there's a lot more dialogue around mental health which i think is absolutely brilliant and it's really important and i think particularly with covid i think a lot of people who've never had any or identified themselves as having any kind of mental health issues have very understandably because it's been such a, a difficult situation in many ways started to experience you know whether it's anxiety or depression or at whatever level so I think, although obviously the lockdown and COVID has been extremely negative, I think there are some, if you want to put it that way, positive things that have come out of it. And one of them, I think, is that people talk a little, are more open to talking about mental health. But one of the things that I struggle with sometimes is I'll often hear, you know, just ask for help. You know, if you're struggling, just ask for help. But the thing is, it can be very difficult to actually even know how to ask for help. And, and for example, you know, when I was first diagnosed, I was put onto a certain medication and which was okay at the time. And then I was in a therapy program through the NHS and they took me off that medication, which I actually disagreed with, but that's a whole other story. And then I realized a few years later that there was something really wrong because I had more self-awareness. I recognized, oh boy, I'm really starting to go downhill here. And it took me a really long time to get my GP to refer me back to the mental health team because, you know, there are cutbacks in, in the services because they, they, you know, I guess I wasn't like in a full-blown mental health crisis so they thought I was managing so what I just want to point out is that it might sound like a really straightforward thing oh I'm not well so I need to ask for help but sometimes it's very challenging especially if you're really not feeling well so again I've gone off on a bit of a tangent but with medication I have got a medication that works for me the medication is just part of the story mm-hmm. but for me it's very essential absolutely yeah mm-hmm. so apart from the medication you having uh, the therapy sessions I have therapy. Yeah, I have therapy. I've had different therapy over the years. The other thing for me personally is that one of uh, my problems and one of the things that made my mental health much worse 
is that before I was diagnosed is that I had quite a long history of eating disorders and also of substance abuse. So I needed, and, and different people address that in different ways, but I needed to really address that before I could get anywhere with my mental health, because mm -hmm. all that was doing is just making, my, making things much worse. And, you know, to the degree that that became a problem in and of itself. So I also have a recovery program around those two issues that I work alongside my mental health. They're very connected. So that I, you know, that's been very important for me because otherwise it's really difficult if you're, you know, if you're using mood altering substances and, and you're hurting yourself. And, you know, I realize it's not always like a straight path in the way that people recover. But for me, it, it's very, very important to address that if you want any kind of sustained recovery and mental health recovery. I'm just going to get up and get my dog on the bed because he's going to... That's fine. We can Sorry hear him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Three of us in the interview. I know. He wants to know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. He wants to express opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see if I can get him to sit on my lap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. So as you said, it's not straightforward, right? Like, even though you said to GP that you feel this is wrong, this is wrong, he, you haven't been recommended because it wasn't serious enough? Well, I think there are a couple of things. Um, one was that, so yeah, there are different reasons why people don't get referred. I think one issue is that unfortunately you know as much as and listen especially again with the whole covid thing you know my hat goes off to everyone who works for the nhs and the fact that you know people have been there on the front lines working and you know i don't want to take anything away from that but in terms of funding for mental health there have been certainly in my borough and i think across the country there have been a lot of a lot of cutbacks to services and my experience has been very often the problem is that there aren't really many community services. So what's available is if you're in a severe crisis, you're in psychosis or, you know, you're really, you know, dangerously suicidal, you'll be put into hospital. But, you know, it shouldn't have to get to that point for someone to get help. And, and precisely if someone is trying to get help before they hit that point, it's really important that there's, you know, I understand that no system is perfect, but it's important that there is that support. And unfortunately, my experience has been that it isn't always there. And, you know, I'm quite lucky, I think, in that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm able to speak up for myself. I can speak clearly. A lot of people can't, you know, a lot of people don't know how to do that. I mean, there are organizations and services. I mean, I think Southwark has a lot of, you know, different services. So it's not that there aren't things out there. There are, but I think, you know, it, it, the reality is it can be difficult to, to get assistance when, when you need it. That's been my experience, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you spoke at the beginning about being diagnosed, and I heard it also in one of the episodes of your podcast, being diagnosed as a kind of relief Yes. of the whole thing. Why is that? Can you explain that in more detail? Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a mixture of things, I would say, but the reason it was a relief, so I was um, 39 when I was diagnosed, and, you know, really, I'm an educated person, I've got two degrees, you know, yes there were I, I could that's the subject for another podcast I, mm -hmm. I could sort of talk about dysfunction in my family but 
you know, I, I got I had a lot of advantages also. So I had sort of all the advantages that, you know, someone might have in terms of material advantages and stuff. And, you know, by the time I got diagnosed, I mean, my life was just a complete mess. You know, I couldn't function. I couldn't hold down a job. I was constantly suicidal. You know, I was abusing substances, eating disorder. And and in a way, getting, I knew there was something really wrong. I'd been diagnosed with anxiety and depression, but I knew that there was something else going on because it just made no sense to me that I just was in so much pain. So the way it was a relief, because first of all, I had someone a professional saying no you know actually there is something going on here that that you know there is a name for it and there is some treatment for it so that was the first thing and then secondly it was just it was just yeah well I think I mean those those two things kind of having that validation but also hearing well you know you don't have to live like this there is there is some treatment for you so that's why it was a relief but but what I will say is that you know I've had my ups and downs with it but there are some days I'm like oh my god I wish I didn't have to deal with this and this is just so you know I can't stand it and but you know it is really it is possible to live with uh, serious mental health conditions you know your life may not look exactly like the sort of average person's, but to be honest with you, who is the average person? Who is the average? Nobody's, nobody's happy 24-7. No, no, <laughs> no, they yeah. aren't. They aren't. They really aren't. So I think that, you know, everyone's on a scale somewhere, but obviously for some people, they might need more intervention than others. Yes. Yeah. How do you find, speaking about it, how do you find doing the podcast, like, was it easy to open up talking about it? Is it quite natural for you? Or are you feeling like this is a difficult topic to talk about? Because you're talking about suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. It's yeah. not easy to talk about. No, it isn't. If it's and personal. Think, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think what I would say, again, from my own experience is one of the things I've learned is to be discerning about who I share this information with I mean obviously this is this is you know I know that you're doing a podcast about mental health I know that there's an element of you know getting information out to people and obviously I've met you before so I feel okay about sharing about this stuff it's stuff that I've talked about a lot but I wouldn't obviously necessarily share it with everyone I mean when I started the podcast I actually did it anonymously because I because there is a big stigma around BPD still even within you know within the medical community unfortunately and I remember the last psychiatrist I saw saying to me honestly you know I would rather diagnose someone with bipolar than BPD just because of the stigma. If it is on their record, it's got such a stigma attached to it. So there is a very real stigma. But I decided that, you know, I might as well just use my name because at the end of the day, like, what what are people going to do? You know, I'm living my life. I'm sharing information, you know, and the people who find the podcast are generally people who need it. So I don't really, and obviously I don't share every single thing, you know, but in a general way, I'm, I'm fairly okay with sharing where I am careful is obviously with, with people, you know, in a work setting. I mean, it depends on, depends on the environment. 
or with with family or friends I mean I might share with some people well you know I've had mental health issues but I certainly might not tell you know reveal the diagnosis Mm -hmm. I think that's quite a personal thing but you know the reality is people do judge or people don't understand I mean that's just the reality of day-to-day life I think so that's that's what we're trying to break right no judgment this kind absolutely. of stigma mm-hmm. absolutely but I think what I would say about that is that I, and I absolutely 100% agree with you but I also think that it's a bit of a catch-22 because I think what's really helpful is when people with lived experience share their their own experiences you know and usually they don't look or sound like the sort of stereotype that some people have but on the other hand it's a lot of pressure to put on someone who's, you know, perhaps experienced discrimination around their own treatment, around their own behavior, around their own symptoms, to then like, you know, the onus be on them to go and sort of educate other people. But it, I think it's, I think, you know, the more people can do it, the better. And um, certainly my attitude is that if I'm comfortable talking about it, I kind of almost feel like I have a duty to do it, you know, because yeah, you know, it's important. It is important. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, you definitely. kind of want to help others to to deal yeah. with it in a good way, in yeah. hopeful yeah. way, inspiring. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's literally just about hearing someone say, you know, do you know what? I'm living my life, you know, I'm I'm functional for on a day-to-day basis you know I, I do things I like you know I think that can be as powerful as anything is with 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 any sort of advocacy you know what, whatever the health condition or, or whatever you know so yeah I think it is important mm-hmm. if you feel able to do it but you know if you don't then I, I don't think obviously no no pressure whatsoever yeah exactly no pressure mm-hmm. so you mentioned the workplace or sharing this kind of diagnosis mental health issue diagnosis mm-hmm. with the family friends how was your work workplace kind of experience with that or well have you been judged for that or like this kind of things you know from the work so, so with the with the workplaces I've had over the past couple of years they've sort of intersected with mental health in some way so there's been an element of supporting people with mental health issues or so it's not been an issue because I've been able to be open about, you know, having lived experience because in a way that helps me to do the job. It it gives me a certain understanding or yeah, certain experience, but I wouldn't necessarily reveal my diagnosis because I just, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's anyone's business, you know, unless there's some very specific health and safety reason. And, you know, I don't feel that someone knowing my specific diagnosis is is necessary for that I think what has helped is to work in an environment where I can say do you know what I'm really stressed out so I might need to make an adjustment or can you help me with this or something like that just to get the support from the workplace but you know I don't think if I was in a workplace that had nothing to do with mental health I probably wouldn't mention it Mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. think I would I think my, my opinions changed about that because there was a point where I thought no 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 I'm just gonna it's gonna be on my application and but my my thoughts have changed about it because and again I'm hoping that things are changing but the fact is I do think that there is still a lot of stigma and discrimination in the workplace and although yes legally you know a workplace is supposed to make adjustments I think the reality is quite often that people get 
let go or discriminated against and you know it might not be openly stated but it's kind of a little bit of a gray area so I personally would protect myself you know if it was if it was not a work environment that was necessarily conducive to discussing that topic mm-hmm. and what about the friends are you, you as well like you don't try to kind of spread awareness there or don't really disclose it much no well I so the thing is to be honest with you most of my friends are in some sort of recovery themselves so you know whether it's for mental health or whether it's for addiction or you know most people I know uh, are recovering from from something like that so there's a kind of understanding within those communities with, I mean, I have some very close friends that I've known for years who are aware because they saw me when I was very unwell. And so, you know, there was a point where I said, listen, so I've got this diagnosis and I'm getting some treatment, but in terms of just casual acquaintances and stuff, no, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily, Mm -hmm. I might say I've got, I've had mental health issues and it's the same thing. I mean, in terms of family, I mean, obviously everyone's got a different kind of family structure. You know, my extended family are not English, though so they, they live in different countries. And I certainly wouldn't be saying to them, I've got BPD. I might say I've got, I've got you know, got some ongoing mental health issues, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay, makes sense. You mentioned in one of the episodes of your podcast term mindful awareness, while mm-hmm. you're trying to, as a practice, to build while managing BPD? Yes. You can explain what does it mean? Yes. So what I will start by saying is there's a type of therapy which was actually developed by a woman who has or had BPD symptoms. Her name is Marsha Linehan and she's an American woman. She developed a therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy, which is, as far as I'm aware, is the only one of the only if not the only actual evidence-based treatment for people with BPD and BPD symptoms it's used for a lot of different things you know like sort of severe depression addiction eating disorders it's used for many different things but it was developed for people who have BPD and who have very suicidal sort of urges and stuff like that and although mindfulness it didn't originate with DBT, DBT, uh, yeah, DBT, and I, I haven't done formal DBT because I can't access it, access it on the NHS, but I became a member of some online peer support groups focused around DBT, so I've, I've sort of accessed it at a peer level, and the, within DBT, the idea of mindfulness and why that's helpful is that, so I'll, I kind of will give you an example from my own life. So if I'm going out for a social event and I feel rege- just off the top of my head, like I feel really rejected by someone because they don't acknowledge me, what mind practicing mindfulness can help me do is to just start noticing what's going on kind of within me rather than like reacting to it. Mm-hmm. immediately and then the other thing and this is not just specific to BPD but it's certainly a feature of BPD is where people like myself with BPD can have very black and white thinking mm-hmm. so you know it can be very much I hate you or I love you or you did this you know you know and which is not really 
obviously that's not always very helpful. So what mindfulness can help with, what it's helped me with is, and often what's suggested is you don't start with a really stressful situation. You literally start with something really small, like you go outside and you practice being mindful of the sky or something. You know, you can start to kind of train your brain to just non-judgmentally notice, oh, there are some white clouds, the sky's blue, there's someone with a blue jacket walking by. And as I understand it, the practice of mindfulness within DBT is that if you can start to train your brain to do that, you can start to do that in kind of more stressful situations. So I, I might be in a situation where I feel really emotionally charged and I might then be able to go, okay, so I'm feeling really anxious now and, you know, and that, that person's over there and I notice they're doing that and that's making me anxious. So that's, that's my understanding of mindfulness. But what I will say for many people with BPD, including myself, and this also comes from DBT, again, just to say I haven't done formal DBT, I'm not a DBT therapist, is that very often when someone with BPD is going into any kind of treatment, one of the first issues is harm reduction, because usually people get diagnosed with BBC because they're engaging in very self-destructive behavior. So before, for me, I can even start to kind of get my mind to the point where I can start noticing things around me. I, if I'm on the verge of like cutting myself or do, you know, or mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, or calling someone that I know is really not good for me or do, going and spending loads of money that I don't have. There are certain things you can do just to, just to sort of lower your, just to lower your distress to the degree that you kind of, you can just avoid doing that. And then mm -hmm. when your distress has come down sufficiently, you can then start to practice mindfulness. So that's my understanding of how mindfulness works for people with, with BPD. But, you know, and it's a very popular thing now, isn't it, mindfulness? I, th I think it's proven to be very beneficial for lots of different, lots of different sort of, I, I guess you would say mental health or emotional health problems. Yeah, yeah, because when you, when you describe that, basically it's like you're trying to find the control over your reaction, over your your actions over your brain thoughts yeah yeah so then you can prevent Absolutely. in this case harmful behavior yeah but as you said it's it's really really popular topic nowadays and even myself I practice awareness and meditation and it helps me a lot dealing with different things during my life so yes yeah definitely awareness for everyone <laughs> I would say yeah, it, and, and the thing that I like about, you know, again, my experience of DBT in a peer context is that mindfulness, obviously, it can be meditation, which is absolutely brilliant, formal meditation, but a lot of people, including myself, I mean, I do guided meditations now, and I can sort of do one for about 10 minutes, maybe, and I'm okay with that, depending upon, you know, wh where I am in the day, but I, you know, I do practice that, I find that really helpful, but very often, you know... I and I'm saying people with BPD since that's kind of the topic of the episode. But, you know, someone with BPD might not be able to sit still for like five seconds okay. without thinking, I want to fucking kill myself. Excuse my language. So, mm -hmm. so you know, my, mindfulness could be eating something mindfully or it could be walking or it could be, you know, using your senses, you know, smelling something. So what I like about DBT is it's very creative and you can kind of adapt it to whatever is going on for you. And, you know, as I say, a lot of people 
will think about mindfulness, which it is traditionally as, as a form of meditation, but you can use different, you know, you can sort of meditate in different ways, if you will. And, you know, for me, like one of, one of the ways, I mean, it's not formal meditation, but walking my dog for me is, is a kind of meditation because yeah, I'm just, my dog is so present in the moment <laughs> with everything, you know, that it kind of gets me into the moment. So there are many different ways of practicing it, but yeah, I think it can be very helpful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's good that you pointed out. I didn't know that people with BPD, they have a hard time to, to focus on the present moment. Yes. Right. Yes. Well, I suppose if, I mean, if you're in like, a, you could say, I mean, so I've heard an analogy of, of people with BPD. I don't know who came up with it, but it's, it, is, it is a doctor who came up with this. I just don't know which one, but their analogy was, and I think it's a really good one, is so imagine that you've got third degree burns, right, on your body and you go out and, you know, even the slightest gust of wind is incredibly painful, right? So you go out and literally there's a gust of wind and you're like, oh my God, oh my God but no one else around you can see that you've got third degree burns. So they look at you like, what on earth is wrong with you? So I've heard an analogy made that for people with BPD, it's a similar thing, but with their emotions. So they'll go out into the world and, you know, something really small that would be insignificant to someone else can just trigger their emotions. And then understandably people around them are like, well, what, what, what's wrong with you? You know, and on top of that, that then, you know it's kind of that is also distressing really because it's like oh my god people don't seem to understand what I'm going through so if you think about it you know think about having physical third degree burns it, it would probably be very difficult to focus on a meditation mm -hmm, wouldn't mm -hmm. it you would kind of need to do something to sort of deal with that immediate pain and discomfort before you could really start to maybe use meditation as, as a way of you know I don't know, working with your pain or whatever, you, you need to sort of remove the immediate sort of really severe symptoms. So that, that's how I would, I mean, it's not my analogy, but I, that's how I would sort of, I think that's a good way of expressing it. It makes sense to me. And I mean, that's how I would understand it in my own life. Like if, you know, like, and I'm sure this is not just people with BPD. I think many of us can relate to this, you know, like how many people have been involved in some kind of relationship with someone who's not available let's say and and you know you you kind of want to keep calling them or contacting them even though you know okay this isn't really the healthiest thing for me you know in order as in my experience you know in order to sort of really start dealing with what's going on underneath that I, I kind of need to stop that behavior of trying to engage with you know someone who's not who's not available if that makes sense mm -hmm. And you can do it by building awareness. Yeah, I think it's building awareness. I think also, you know, I think awareness is brilliant. I mean, awareness is the first step, but, you know, people can have a lot of awareness and not change their behavior, you mm. know, and I've experienced that myself and I've seen it, you know. So I think awareness is really, really helpful. I think it's important to have some accountability. So whether that's peer support or whether it's a, a therapist or whatever kind of support, you know, whatever kind of support is available, really. I think it's important to have accountability. And I, it's very important, particularly for people with BPD. I think for everyone who's got any kind of problem, but I think particularly for people with BPD, it's important to have someone who's not going to judge you, who's kind of going to work with you and, you know, kind of 
you know, not say this is bad or this is good, but kind of really look at what well, is this working for you? Mm-hmm. And if it's working for you, then how can we find a way to to stop it? You know, and how you, do you know what I mean? It's 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 got to come from the person. I mean, another I mean, just to share with you, like another little thing that I found very helpful. And again, it's it's a DBT tip and it's called or skill. It's called alternate rebellion. So as an example, you know, let's say that I want to self-harm. So what I what this skill alternate rebellion suggests is you know usually there's a feeling attached if you want to do something you know whether it's like you know I want to eat two bars of chocolate or I want to self-harm or whatever the behavior is you know and it can vary in terms of its self-destructiveness you know if I know that I don't want to do that you know something that I personally have found helpful is to go okay well I really want to do this, you know, and I am going to get a short term satisfaction from it. It's just that it's not going to help me long term. It's going to harm me. So what's something that I can do that kind of is going to express that feeling, but that's not going to harm me in the same way. And, you know, so I've heard people do things like I'm going to smash some plates or I'm going to draw on my arm, you know, like rather than self harm or I'm going to like just do something really stupid. You know, not there's nothing stupid, but, you know, yeah I'm gonna jump up and down and scream or something so Uh I think I think what's worked for me with BPD having BPD is not someone saying oh my god you're self-harming oh no that's terrible but going why are you doing it and you know do you think it's working for you and if it isn't working for you then what are some ways that together we can figure out a strategy so you can you can you know reduce and hopefully stop stop what you're doing you know so and it looks different for different people you know I think with mental health one of the things that I would say from my experience is when I first got diagnosed I I really thought I was like okay I've got this diagnosis let's do the treatment then it's all going to be fine Mm-hmm. Like, it's all going to be sorted I was like I'll give it two years I'm going to just throw myself into this treatment obviously that's not the reality it's not always a linear it, it kind of is it's a bit more it, it you know for me it's been a bit more of a like a spiral it, it I still have symptoms you know I still have st- symptoms of BPD it's just that they don't control me as much as they used mm-hmm. to and one of the things that was suggested to me is you know, don't compare yourself to other people, just compare yourself to yourself a year ago. And sometimes when I'm struggling, you know, if I say, well, what, how would I have dealt with this a year ago? I really can see the progress. Amazing. That's, that's great. That's a great technique how to, yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's all things that have been suggested to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think what is important is these suggestions come from people who are either in recovery themselves from BPD or from people who, you know, professionally trained. And I think that's really, really important. You know, obviously different people have different kinds of families and some families are more understanding than others and more supportive than others. So, I know that, you know, there are people who've got amazing family support and stuff, but that's not the case for everyone. And I think it's really important for anyone if they're diagnosed with BPD or anything else. It's really important, in my opinion, not to just rely on your family and friends. But people with the same kind of diagnosis and going through the same thing. People, no? people in recovery, I mm-hmm. would say people, people who are in recovery, because you, for me, I could be around someone who's really unwell with BPD and that's not necessarily going to help me. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, you know so I think for me what's been important is to be in a safe environment whether that's in therapy or you know group therapy or, or whatever with a peer group you know where there's some sense of you know progress and kind of moving forward and it's not always easy to find I know you know it's not it's not that simple always but yeah I, I, I think that's important So you cannot access these support groups from the side of experts, like the, from the therapist can recommend you anything or because you said it's not easy to find. No, it isn't. Them? So, no. So usually, so in the UK, this is again, my experience is in the UK. If you get a BPD diagnosis, you're, you're referred, you might be on medication. A lot of people with BPD are, but you will also be referred for therapy because it's understood I think it's it's kind of medically understood that really the effective treatment for BPD is therapy. Obviously, I can't speak for every borough in London or, you know, how it works in the UK, but some places offer DBT, which really is, is the evidence-based treatment. But there are other forms of therapy. So I got referred to a group therapy program at Guy's Hospital, and it was a different form of therapy. I mean, it was helpful at the time, but... I had my issues with it, but it was also really helpful. And I was actually quite lucky to get it because a lot of people just don't really get that much. But the issue with the NHS is very often you have to wait for like months okay. and months and months. And if someone's in a really bad state, then that can be very difficult. So what I usually say to people that I meet, if 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 they're really struggling and they just literally can't access any support, I mean, usually if someone's in at crisis level, they would be under a mental health team I would think you know and they would be getting medication and they'd be under a psychiatrist but aside from that what I suggest to people is you know may not be a long-term solution but look for charities in your area that offer you know mental health support mind is one very well-known example um look for online support groups you know Facebook the groups that I'm part of are on Facebook you kind of have to get creative mm-hmm. which I know is really really difficult if you're not feeling well but it, it, I'm not saying those things are going to be a solution but they can just keep you going sometimes it can just give you that little bit of a little bit of a structure and support you know if you're waiting for therapy and and I would also say that if anyone is really really struggling with substance abuse or eating disorders you know there are lots of different groups that you, you can google that that where you can get some support for those you know so it you you kind of have to be in my experience quite creative it isn't like a really clear cut like okay the nhs is going to refer me for some people they're lucky enough to get that but i think that's the minority unfortunately mm-hmm. so yeah yeah so you have to be quite creative i think and i think it's good if uh, somebody who is listening right now to our conversation and is finding themselves struggling with the same same um condition yeah it's good yeah, yeah. for them to listen to your podcast because really you are each topic is really interesting and really helpful yeah what I've the feedback I've gotten which is quite which has been really useful is that because I talk about quite specific things from my own experience and I what I've heard from people who have BPD is they it's good to hear it explained by someone who also has it so it's like someone I've you know I've got the same head as them if you like Mm -hmm. you know and but I also in the podcast really also try and focus on you know what can you do because at the end of the day 
it's about trying to find a way through that, you know, so it's not really ruining your life, basically, you know, but yeah, no, definitely. I talk about quite specific things and because I think, you know, there's, and again, it's like any, you could say the same thing about someone who has depression or anxiety, there can be a lot of shame attached to some of these behaviors, you know, and I think, you know, I, I, I think most people who have any sort of mental health issue don't really want to act the way sometimes that their illness causes them to act, you know, so I think, as you were saying earlier, you know, having some space where that can be talked about openly and constructively is really useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I recently uh, watched the um, documentary. It was very interesting because it was really quite recently. They were talking about mental health um, issues. What is the reason why, where all of this is originating? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is your opinion about that? Why, I think why do you a- think... Yeah, that's a great question. That's a really great question. And I would say a couple of things about that. I would say, although I think it's important to consider that, I think for someone who's dealing with one of these illnesses themselves, I think beyond a point, you can get really, you can get really bogged down by that question. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's kind of, you know, what works, what works to help me manage my life? Because yeah yeah but but I also think it's an important question because sometimes you know like medically if there's if there's information about well this causes this and this causes that you know maybe treatment's more effective so I as far as I know and please don't quote me on this but as far as I know with BPD I can't speak for anything else but with BPD my understanding is that the latest kind of research suggests that it's a combination. It's a combination of just a particular kind of physiology, which is sort of very sensitive or very overstimulated, easily overstimulated, and also trauma. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination. And um, the thing that I think, from my point of view, has been important to note to kind of learn about that is that we all respond differently to different events in our life. So, you know, someone might have something happen to them that to someone else might not seem very significant but to that person it might be extremely significant uh, and it might have a very significant effect on them so it really just depends Mm -hmm. but as I understand it with BPD it's a combination it's physiological and it's also there's an element of trauma and and it might be trauma in the sense that someone's grown up in an environment where you know their, their, their feelings are not respected you know where people are always saying oh you don't feel like that well, that's ridiculous and you know that that doesn't sound like a major thing but it can have a very significant effect on someone and if they've got a particular kind of predisposition uh, then that you know might also have an effect so I, I think I think it's still I think that's a very difficult question for you yeah. know even for sort of scientists uh, or even for doctors I know answers, I understand. yeah yeah to answer yeah. but I but I do I mean my personal belief is that and it's really tricky because I do believe most people I have met with any kind of mental health issue have got some stuff they, there's stuff from their childhood and it might you know it, it could vary you know it could vary widely I'm not I'm not saying that everyone who's got any kind of mental health issue has had some specific trauma from their childhood but in my experience of myself and other people that I've known and I know a fair number of people usually something has gone on in their childhood that's been quite distressing and disturbing and again it might be that 
it doesn't look from the outside like anything that major, but it's had an impact on them that's affected them. But I think from my from my experience, what can be tricky about that is that I know for me, like there have been times in my life where I've just been like, oh my God, what caused this? And oh, was it this or was it this? And the, and beyond a point for me, that can become a bit of a trap. Because it can yeah. kind of, I, I'm not saying, I'm certainly not saying that to sort of dismiss anyone's experience. You know, I'm just speaking from my own experience that that, that can actually become a bit of an obsession. But like a can, trigger. You might, yeah, and it, I and it kind of, mm-hmm. I can get, you know, I can get stuck there. You know, I can get stuck there and, you know, just get kind of really fixated on that. And it doesn't necessarily really solve anything. It doesn't even really help me to understand any better. You know, so I think it's a really important question, but I think it's a very big question. Deep question. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that basically, logically, like if you want to treat something, you have to find the root of that. Yes. Isn't it? But in this case, as you explaining, to find the root of that and to treat that might trigger you to something worse. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And actually, that's also a really interesting point you're making, because again, this is this is DBT now, from my understanding of DBT, that's precisely how it's structured. So when you go into a formal DBT program, the first thing you deal with is the behaviours that could be, that could threaten your life, really. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the first thing. It's like the emergency. And then you start dealing with, well, how do I actually manage my emotions and how do I communicate with people and then you start looking at the other stuff underneath which which might you know which might go quite deep you know differently for different people from my own experience the way that that has worked as I say I haven't done formal DBT but in terms of substance abuse of being an abuser of substances having an eating disorder you know it would not be safe for me if I was if I was out there using substances today and active in my eating disorder for me to go and start having counseling around trauma would not be safe for me because all that would do is trigger me and if I had no coping skills for dealing with you know addiction and and eating disorders and whatever other behavior all it's going to do is just trigger me into that behavior how powerful is this what you just said for me at least is like it's, it's really tricky situation. Because... Yeah, and I mean, it is. And I think the kind of the positive thing is that increasingly there's more and more understanding of all these different problems, you know. And, and I think there's, you know, within the addiction field, within the mental health field, I think there's more and more understanding and experience of how to, to deal with these things that people present. But I can absolutely say from my experience, and it's, it, you know, I, I keep saying my experience because it is so different for different people. You know, some people go into counseling and they've got major issues, behavioral issues with food or whatever it could be, you know, but they're going to counseling. And as a result of going through counseling, maybe they're then able to address let's just say food, you know, they have a food, they're a binger or something or an overeater. But, you know, that might kind of work for one person. But if someone else is engaging in a behavior that is like really threatening their life, you know, Mm -hmm. causing them such distress, I mean, that might not really work for them. But I think 
what I would say, and I mean, since this has come up and I agree with you, I think it's a really important point. You know, if someone has been diagnosed with BPD, I know it's really, really sort of like, oh my God, I just want to know what caused this. And, and I've been in that place before. I've been like, oh, I just want to like, I've got to just get the right therapy so I can just like really get to the root of things. But, you know, I've, I've some, I've, a couple of times I've tried to sort of push ahead with that before I was ready, before mm -hmm. I really had the coping skills in place to deal with what came up and it just set me back. Mm -hmm. So by um, de developing, sorry to interrupt you, by developing the coping skills first, do you think yeah. it's possible to work through the roots yes. and traumas? Yes, I Yes, I do. And I think it really varies from person to person. I mean, when I was in the treatment program at Guy's Hospital, I mean, we were all there because we were quite, quite significantly unwell or struggling to cope you know but obviously different people have had different experiences and there are some people who just had such horrendous experiences in their life you know and so I mean for someone who's had you know decades of you know a horrible childhood and a horrible life and you know it's going to maybe take them a bit longer you know there's a lot they need to work through and it might look different for different people you know I, re I really think it, it, I, it's so it's so personal you know and but but I think that yeah I think beyond a point as far as I'm concerned I, I mean it's like layers isn't it it's like layers of wow okay well I've sort of dealt with this and now this is coming up and I kind of feel like I need to look at this and you know I think very often it can come through relationships you know like okay I mean I've, I'm still in this pattern of relationship that I don't feel is really working for me so what's going on there and you know but I think in order to get to that point you need to be even able to have a relationship as I don't just mean an intimate relationship but a friendship or a work relation you need to get to that point where you can even have that so I just think there's no race and it's really important it's safety it's about safety first and if someone is whether they have BPD or some or anything they're like really bad you know severely depressed or whatever the first thing is to get that person stable so they're not a risk to themselves, you know, or, or other people. And then you can sort of maybe start doing some other work, you know, to help mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Okay. I understand that. How important do you think is like accepting what is actually happening to me? Because I don't know if some people might take approach of denial at the beginning, maybe after diagnosis or yeah, just trying to I deny what is happening. I think that's quite common. And I think, to be honest, so again, I'll share my experience. I mm -hmm. think it's sort of a mixture, really, because um, at the end of the day, it's, I don't think anyone wakes up and goes, I really want to be diagnosed with borderline <laughs> personality disorder or, or, you know, whatever. Oh, I really want to be diagnosed with depression and anxiety. And, you know, so I think there is a process. And I, I, in my experience, you know, like when I first got diagnosed, I was really like, OK, you know, I'm getting this treatment. And then there was a point where I realized that it wasn't going to be that clear cut. Mm -hmm. And actually it was it was a much more long term thing. And then, you know, I had moments where I got really depressed and, you know, so it's a process. It's really a process, but I think I, I think everyone has has their own own sort of pace with that or their own experience with that. But I think at the end of the day, you know, I mean, it, like an example I can give is around my limitations. Like a good a good example for me because it's one that I kind of struggle with a lot is work. So you know, 
if it was down to me, I'd be working five days a week, you know, and I'd be, you know, but my experience has been if I try and work more hours than I, than I am able to, you know, really in terms of my health, I have a real setback. So, you know, it's kind of accepted. I mean, I could deny it and just go, no, I'm going to work five days a week, but I'll get unwell at least mm -hmm. at the moment. Now in the future, that might change, but you know, so as far as I'm concerned, it makes more sense. It might, it might be annoying or it might, you know, I might feel a certain way about it, but it makes more sense for me just for my own health and, and just for my own well-being. So, you know what, I can manage doing two days a week and that's what works for me now. And I'll see how I go with that. And I think what's really important there is to also to be around people who are going to support that. So, you know, to have some, so, you know, because whether it's work or anything else, you know, you, you might have someone very well-meaning who goes, well, no, you know, push yourself and go and do it. And they might really mean well, that they might mm -hmm. not be trying to be harmful, but, you know, that can be really difficult. You know, if you're already telling yourself, oh my God, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. So I think it is important to accept one's limitations when it comes to, comes to any sort of mental health condition. And what I would really say is just remember that those can change. They're not necessarily going to be forever. When I first got diagnosed, I mean, I was basically full-time going to a hospital unit. I was in supported housing. I mean, I, and I really thought like, I'm just going to be this and I'm going to put it in inverted commas. I'm, no, it sounds a bit weird, but because I have a mental health issue, I feel I can say it, but I really was <laughs> like, oh, I'm just going to be this kind of mental patient for the rest of my life. I'm just going to, and that's not the case. I mean, I live with a mental health condition, but my life is very, very different than it was five years ago you know, because my resilience has increased and I have more coping tools and stuff. So it, you know, it can be tempting to go, oh my God, this is how it's going to be forever, but it really isn't necessarily. It, things can change quite quickly. If, 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 But I think it's very important that, you know, to, to respect your limits and to kind of work with what you can actually do. And sometimes it's trial and error. Sometimes mm -hmm. I've had to really you know, I've tried something and I've really wanted to do it. And I've just come to the conclusion that, you know what, this is just a bit too much for me at the moment. Maybe there's some other way I can do it, or maybe I can do something else that's not going to cause me that much stress or whatever. I just came to my mind. Do you think that speaking about, about this mental health condition and doing the podcast is the way kind of that you can with this BPD better in, even in your real life? Like it can help you kind of like put it out there what you want to say share yeah. share the knowledge yeah yeah I I've really found the podcast doing I mean it's lovely to be invited on your podcast it's lovely to be able to speak about it mm -hmm. and you know to be asked like genuine questions and you know I found doing the podcast really helpful and I and I will also just mention as I mentioned to you I think when we spoke privately that the the way that I started doing the podcast was this there's a there's an American organization called mental health news radio network which is absolutely brilliant i recommend everyone check it out it's and it's run by people who have their own lived experience of mental health issues and it's a podcast network and it's got every kind of podcast on every aspect of mental health and you know people with very differing views different perspectives there's something for everyone and I got in contact with the woman who runs it when it was much smaller because she did it she did her own podcast and some of the stuff she was sharing about really resonated with me so I just I just messaged her and she messaged back and then one day I just thought oh I, you know I wonder if I could 
do some part-time work for them which and I started doing like some marketing work and then she actually said to me have you thought about doing a podcast about BPD because we don't have one and there's a lot of misunderstanding about it so all that was a very positive experience because I was encouraged to do it but mm -hmm. you know anyone can start a podcast I mean the thing is that with so you know social media there are a lot of negatives about social media but people really have a platform now free to be an advocate if you want to you can you can go on Instagram you can go on YouTube you can literally create your own platform and do your own advocacy work you know obviously I think it's important to do self-care because obviously sometimes social media can be quite toxic yeah um so you know it's important to look after yourself but there, there really is space for that if you if you want to get involved in that you can really kind of build a community if you want mm -hmm. you know and that can be very helpful yeah mm -hmm. great what would be your final message to someone who has been just diagnosed with bpd just okay, like really well, like very important to yeah know. yeah absolutely well what i would say is uh, the most important thing is just i even if you feel like oh god this is absolutely awful and you know please remember that there is treatment so if anyone tells you that, oh my God, you know, you've got BPD, well, you know, you're screwed or do, that, that's just simply not true. It's not true. And it's really, really, so I'm going over the place, but I was going to say, I was going to say it's really important for you to get treatment, but keep, keep pushing for your own treatment. If you're not getting the results that you want from the NHS, you know, get, get, get creative keep advocating for yourself get creative in where else you seek support I would really actually recommend going online like going on Facebook on Twitter actually on Twitter there's quite a big BPD community and that's in fact where I first found um found out that there were even other people online and just mm -hmm. to sort of do a few shout outs so on twitter there's a really good weekly twitter chat called bpd chat so if you go onto twitter and you just do hashtag bpd chat it's on it'll come up it's a sunday evening i think it's 9 p.m uk time and it's really brilliant it's run by a peer advocate and it's a space to go and in a very constructive way, talk about how your week's been and what your experiences are of having BPD. So that's one that's really good. It's live, um, sorry to interrupt you. That's live. It's live, yeah, okay. it's live. Yeah, it's, they have their own Twitter account and you can sort of access, you know, a kind of online support there. And so that that's one that I really recommend. The other thing that I would recommend, even if you don't know anything about DBT or, you know, you're not planning to get it professionally, on Facebook, if you go, if you search DBT groups, those, those will usually have a big BPD community, as it were, because it's usually, as I said earlier, it was devised for people with BPD. And what I like about, I mean, you have, you know, obviously look around and see if there's a group that you like, but for me, what's important is that it's great to go to a group and say, God, I'm really struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. But beyond a point, I find that I need something that's going to give me some constructive suggestions for how to move forward. Mm -hmm. Because if it's just about, oh my God, you know, I'm going to do this, or I'm, you know, it, it, that can get quite sort of, you can get stuck in that. Stuck in that state, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Not that it's it's important that you talk about it, you know, obviously, but I think for me, it's important to have a balance. And the other thing that I would really recommend, actually, it might seem really obvious is because it really has helped me at times when I didn't have 
that much as much support as I think I needed as the Samaritans. So, you know, they're not obviously they're not trained medical professionals, but very often what I've done is I've called the Samaritans and, you know, you don't have to be at the point where you're literally planning so you know you're making plans to really seriously harm yourself and you can call them and just talk through something and mm -hmm. sometimes you know it's maybe not going to be a long-term solution but it as a short-term thing it can be very helpful so I would really recommend if you've just been diagnosed with DPD uh, with BPD and you're struggling with a lot of suicidal ideation you know just as a kind of distress distress tolerance like a sort of quick fix to help you call the Samaritans I'm sure there are more things I could think of. you can check out my podcast beyond the borderline and and just you know I would say just look online there's a lot of stuff what I would say just one last thing is that be very careful about going on YouTube and looking up BPD because there are a lot of people who do videos about and they've had they might be the spouse of someone with BPD or and you know what i I don't care what mental health you've condition you've got, you know, once you're aware of it and you're seeking some treatment, you know, it, 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 it's not justifiable to go around abusing people. So I don't care. I'm not for a minute suggesting that, you know, mm -hmm. I get that if we're unwell, we do things, we, we do things we don't want to do, but I'm not, you know, I'm not justifying any kind of abuse, but what you will often see on YouTube is you'll see someone doing a video and they'll go, oh, you know, people with BPD are really toxic and like, just, just be very aware that that is a very biased perspective. That's their experience, you know, and, and, uh, but that is not, you know, that it, it, BPD, it's a mental health condition that can be treated. It's not a moral issue. It's it's a medical mental health issue and it can be treated. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you for that. I'm going to include all those links uh, in the description of the episode so people can easily click and access. Mm -hmm. And it's good to do prevention and to really speak about these things and uh, yes. making sure that people know that there is a help, there is a way. They yes. don't need to suffer alone. And it's it's so important. I mean it's really it is it is and and just if if I could just quickly before you finish because mm -hmm. I, I, I'm sure you probably need to go but I just want to say you know it's very very you know statistics very clearly show that actually talking about suicidal urges decreases the likelihood that someone's actually gonna act on it thank you for that and thank you for chat today Aline I very much appreciate your openness you. and, and your willingness to share thank you so much it was really lovely to be a guest and you know I'm so glad you're doing this podcast I think it's um gonna really help people definitely yeah mm -hmm. and you're doing the same it's really really amazing that you're speaking up and um, sharing your pers personal experience in your own podcast as well so mm -hmm. guys I'm gonna include all those links and link to the Aline podcast as well into the description so make sure you check it out and Let's spread awareness about these things, about mental health, and let's hope that things are going to change. Thank you, Alin. Thank you so much. So thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got to know something new and something refreshing. And also, I hope that this episode makes you think next time you're going to be maybe in the situation that you will be tempted to jump into conclusion very quickly about somebody else. Don't forget that there, there might be 
something else going on inside of the other person that we can't spot on the first sight. So let's just be less judgmental, more kind and more compassionate towards others. I will leave you with this message and thank you again for listening. Make sure you tune into the next episode next week. And until next time, my family.